Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach, California. Whether you are listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. What was one of those Christmas gifts that you, that you longed for, that you had your heart set on? It was the black bicycle, three-speed black bicycle. When Schwinn's and the banana seats were big, that's not what I wanted. They hadn't developed the other seven no. yet? The other seven speeds? <laughs> No, they no, had. They only got up three, three speed was about as high as they got. Yeah, pretty, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I got it. Nice. I got it one Christmas morning. Yeah. It's last year, so it was a little <laughs> late, but well, better late than never. Yeah, Julie. Julie was really good to me. <laughs> you know, um, just uh, sort of along the lines of us looking for a space to go to. Um, when I got here, I was told it's a real challenge to find something in Huntington Beach, and now after participating with Lowe and others for about three months, it is a real challenge. And so, um, as we said, this church we're going to on Thursday is a real possibility. They would like us to come. There are some real good things about that church and that facility. There are some challenges with it. So here's the deal. We are going to uh, basically spend about the next two or three weeks continuing to turn everything upside down in Huntington Beach, looking for a spot. And to do that, we really want to bring you all into the process. Um, of course, you can be looking for us, and if you find anything, let us know. But here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow, uh, if you would, we would like you to sort of spend a day as Huntington Beach praying and fasting over our location, because the location is a huge deal. Where we land really does make a difference. And uh, if you've never fasted before, uh, you know, one way to do it is just not to eat tomorrow. Uh, but you don't have to fast for the whole day. If that makes you nervous and you're like, I don't know that I can do that, uh, just miss a meal or just miss something that you normally do that's sort of in the routine of your life. The idea of fasting is to take something away so it makes you mindful of praying throughout the day. And God honors that. So uh, we, I really want to encourage you, join us in this. And uh, maybe it's the church we'll be at on Thursday. Maybe there's something that we've not even found that God will open up. One way or another, we're going to be out of here by the new year. We are going. <laughs> and, uh, and so we just want to land in the right spot, and we can all pray about that. And, you know, the bigger the challenge, the more glory God gets when the challenge comes through. So we're just going to go to him as a church. Sound good? Yes, let's pray right now, and then we'll open God's word. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to us, and that's one of the things we'll focus on today, but we also recognize that we're folks that have needs, and there is, uh, there's things that happen in our life where we realize that we're totally dependent on you, and uh, I'm really getting the feeling that finding the right location in Huntington Beach is one of those things. Uh, we're not going to figure it out with human ingenuity or just hard work. Uh, we need you, Lord, to lift up a spot for us, the spot you have for us. And if it's this church we go to on Thursday, we pray that we will feel a real peace about it, that all of us will agree this is a great spot for us. If there's something else, uh, help us to find it and give us an open door. Help it to fall into our laps. So we'll give you honor. We're planning this church, Lord, not for our glory, but for yours, so that you will look good in Huntington Beach. So we know that you're part of this. And we just lean on you now. Now help us to see what you want us to see in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, and I'm not going to bring this up on the screen, so I hope you do have your Bible. 
uh, for this verse. We'll bring up some of the verses, but turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And in Matthew 6, 5 through 7, actually, Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And he gives a really, really interesting statement that on the surface just sounds like a money statement. And Jesus made a lot of money statements, but it sounds like a money statement. But it really isn't a money statement at all. It's a worldview statement. It's how you see the world. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and you're all saying, well, Kevin's not opening his Bible. I just remind you, I cannot read a Bible up here without my glasses on. And if I look through my glasses, I can't see you. So I've got it here. I promise I've got the scripture right here. Uh, But you can look at your Bible. So that's a great thing for you. Matthew 6, 24, let's read this together. It says, no one can serve, we're going to read this together, okay? Oh, and this is going to be a challenge, actually, all right, I'm lame. You're all going to read in different versions. We're going to sound like we're all speaking in tongues or something. So I'll tell you what, I will read this one. We'll read together something else, all right? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, let me ask you, some of you that used to ring the, uh, read the King James Version or some other versions, that word is not money in the King James Version. Do you know what word that is? Mammon, all right? You cannot serve God or mammon, uh, one or the other. Mammon is actually larger than money. Mammon actually is like worldly possessions. It really is broader than just money. And it actually has sort of an insidious part to it. It's when you desire to a great extent worldly possessions. That's what mammon was. It was was sort of this pull on your heart to devote yourself to getting these worldly possessions or things that are in the world. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying there's kind of two attitudes you can have as you go through your life. You can either serve God or you can serve this desire you have in yourself for the things that the world has to offer, all these things that sort of draw you in and grab your heart. And in fact, what Jesus does here is he actually sort of personifies mammon, makes it into a god. So he said, basically here, he said, there's two gods in this world. There's two ways to see the world. There's the world that God created and and serving God, and there is this God called Mammon, the God of Mammon, and that is the allure of what the world gives. And he says, uh, as you go through your life, you have decisions to make on who you're going to serve, who you're going to be devoted to. Are you going to be devoted to God, or are you going to be devoted to the things of this world and obtaining them? And he really paints sort of this stark picture by saying, you can't do both. Now, what he means by that is you can't do both at the same time because we do both all the time, don't we? I mean, all of us sort of fluctuate back and forth, but his point here is you can't do both at the same time. You'll be devoted to one, which means you'll kind of turn away from the other, or you'll be devoted to the other and you'll turn away from the first one. You can't do both at the same time. Now, here's the truth of the matter. We live in a country that worships the God of mammon, all right? It just is the reality of America, and there's a lot of great things about this country, but there is no question, and just giving this statistic will make the point. We have 5% of the world's population in this country. We consume 40% 
of the world's goods. Okay, it's very disproportionate. And it's because we can. It's because we can. And so there's no question that whether you're looking at Wall Street or Madison Avenue, when you think about the, the great American dream that you know this is the land of opportunity, all of those things feed and basically fall out of this idea of serving the God of mammon, the idea that there is more out there, that you can get more, and that really that you deserve more. That that's sort of the creedal statement. Now, here's what we're going to do. In this series, we have a three-week series called Consumed. We're going to look at life serving the God of mammon and life serving God. And we're going to just pretty much peel it back and say, who are we serving? Who are we serving really when it comes down to it? Who are we serving? And uh, this is a great time of the year for us to do it because Of the 40% of the world's goods that we consume in a year, guess how much we consume of everything that we consume? Guess how much we consume between Thanksgiving and Christmas? 70%. 70% of what we consume, we will consume in the next six weeks. So this is the time of year, if we really want to get serious about it, where we need to roll up our sleeves and say, all right, we're going to figure out Who do I serve? Do I serve the God of mammon? Do I serve God? And you're going to see hundreds, maybe thousands of commercials. You know the commercials that start coming on this time of year. How many of you, and I love this commercial, the commercial with the the champagne glasses toasting together, and it's, you know, that Christmas carol, and it goes, ding, 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 and it's these glasses clinging together. I look forward to that every year. I don't even know what the product is, but I just know that it's Christmas time when that little thing comes up. I saw that you this year can buy electric hand-warming gloves. I'm sure you'll want it on a day like this. I actually saw a commercial that one jeweler put out that they have diamonds that are, uh, what did they say, certifiably brighter than any other diamond. I don't know how they did that. Maybe they put little light bulbs in it. I don't know what they do. Uh, During the next six weeks, more lottery tickets will be purchased than any time during the year. They're expecting that the lotto will go up to 300 million over the holiday season. Uh, And then I saw the greatest commercial of all, so clever. Uh, It was a car commercial, and they said, don't overextend yourself buying a car you can't afford. Buy ours instead. (laughs) That's how it worked. And I'm like, brilliant, brilliant. All right, so we're going to get all of these things that are coming at us, and we're going to have to basically deal with the creedal statement of the God of Mammon, which is, more is better, more is possible, I deserve more. That's really what the God of Mammon tells us. More is better, it is better than having less. More is possible, we live in the land of opportunity, and then personalizing it, I deserve more. I mean, really, come on, I deserve more. And when we start to serve the God of Mammon, uh, what we're going to have is an attitude of talking to our God is, God, it's not enough. It's just not enough. What you're giving me is not enough. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to go real quickly through three stories in the Old Testament and show you one of two tracks, the track of serving God and the track of serving Mammon, because Jesus basically points out to us that the God of Mammon rears his head in the Garden of Eden. Actually, at the dawn of creation, we get this problem. So you have Adam and Eve uh, in the Garden. In fact, Adam's created before Eve. And so uh, it says in Genesis 1 that after everything that God created, after every day of creation, God has this phrase where he evaluates his work 
and he says, it is good. It is good. Everything that he creates is good. He makes this perfect world. He puts people in it. He has a perfect relationship with people. The animals and the people live in harmony. He lives in harmony with his people. The, the garden is beautiful. It's you know, it, it, beautiful trees, delightful. Anything that they could ask for, they're living literally in paradise. And it says in Genesis 2, 8 through 9, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden uh, were the tree of life. uh, Let's see. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so you get this picture that God just makes this perfect, perfect place. And there are thousands and thousands of trees that are good. And it couldn't be better. And here is the attitude, just so you know. When you serve the real God, when you serve the true God, the thing that will come through your mind constantly is that God is generous. That God is a God who gives. It says in James that he's the giver of all good gifts. And when we're serving God, when our focus is in the right place, one of the things that spills out of our heart is this idea, and one of the things we can see is God is good, and God gives generously. And in the Garden of Eden, that's exactly what happens. Now, there was one restriction, only one restriction put into that garden, and it was one tree. And God said to them about this one tree, what? Don't eat of it, okay? You've got thousands of trees to eat from. Don't eat from this one tree. It was the original, just say no. Don't eat of this one tree. So, what do you think Adam and Eve thought of all the time? That one tree. Why is it that he's not going to give us that one tree, that one tree, And we actually really do get the idea that Eve, at least, obsesses over that tree because she misquotes God when she's talking to the serpent about it because she's thinking so much about it. And after a while, they don't even have pleasure in the rest of the trees, in everything that is in paradise. All they can think of is this one tree that they don't get. And so we read in Genesis 3, 6 through 7, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So you have all these trees, but there's the one tree you don't get. And here's what's true when you serve the God of mammon, when you serve this desire, is you don't focus on what you have, You focus on what? On what you don't have. And if you find yourself constantly thinking, I don't have this, I don't have that, I wish I could have that, I wish I could have that, it's a a sure sign that the God of mammon has grabbed your heart because that's an attitude when we're serving the wrong God. And there's a great danger here. Just think about this, all right? So you have Adam and Eve. They're in this garden. It is incredibly great. They have a perfect relationship with each other. They run around naked, 
I mean, I think that's pretty cool. They get to run around naked all the time. They have perfect harmony with the animals. I mean, it's like a Dr. Doolittle thing. They can talk to the animals, walk with the animals. You know, all that thing is happening. They have perfect harmony with God. I mean, it's like they go for walks with God every night. You know, it's just, it's awesome. And they have this beautiful place, everything that they could desire. And you know what happens as they reach for more? As they say, I'm not satisfied with that. They lose everything that they were given. They lose the perfect relationship they have with each other. They have to go around in big leaf costumes. You know, they, they lose their relationship with the animals. They lose their relationship with God the way that it was. They're actually kicked out of the garden. They lose everything. So there's a great danger when we go down this road. And, you know, this isn't uncommon for us. I mean, I think about the guy who, you know, gets married and has a family, and then he decides he's going to chase the almighty dollar, and he makes huge sacrifices to do it, and he can't get enough, and he keeps on going. And you know what he loses eventually? His family. Or I think of a woman who obsesses over having her dream house or obsesses over having this particular car, obsesses over these certain clothes or these certain friends or being part of a certain club, and she loses the joy of everything that she already has. She has no satisfaction in that. It's always getting more. And maybe you can relate to this. Uh, The couple who always thinks bigger, bigger, better, better, bigger, bigger, better, better, run their whole lives by it. They get more, and they get a lot more. And eventually they're sitting in their huge house and they're overlooking the ocean or overlooking, you know, the beautiful cars they have and their kids have all gone through the nicest schools and they look back and they say to themselves, you know when we were the happiest? We were the happiest when we were newly married and we didn't have anything. And what happens is that we lose the joy of what we've had because we always want more. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve, and it's a great danger for us. That is part of the danger of serving the God of Mammon. So let's go down. We'll go down a few hundred years, and now uh, this is in Israel's development. They've been slaves in uh, Egypt for 430 years. God miraculously comes in and rescues them from this slavery and does the plagues and does the parting of the Red Sea and gets them out in the wilderness And uh, he's rescued them. All these great things have happened. They're barely out of the mud of the Red Sea, this incredible miracle of how God rescues them. And guess what they start doing? It says that they start complaining and grumbling. And uh, I love that idea of grumbling. You know, they're just sort of walking around going, you know, they're just grumbling about things. And uh, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. And they're grumbling now about not having enough food, like God's going to forget the food part after he took them through the Red Sea. Oh, I forgot. They're starving to death. I don't think that's a big worry. But he says, tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, uh, the one who gathered much did not have too much, And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered exactly what they needed. Now, let me just talk about grumbling and complaining, okay? Uh, We have sort of a running joke in our house because we have girls, and um, the girls can whine at times. Not that guys ever do that, but our girls will whine at times. And when I hear them whining, I'll say, I know what we should do. 
We should put you on top of an ambulance and we'll spin you around and you can go, wow, wow, wow. Because, you know, that's what you sound like. You sound like an ambulance. Well, let me just ask this question. How many of you have grumbled or complained in the last week? Okay. And I'll just give you some categories here, okay? In case you're thinking, well, I don't really grumble or complain. Did you grumble or complain about the money, about your money, about the markets, about the government? Anybody? All right. Let's just, all right. How about any of you complain about your weight? All right. Well, if you didn't this week, after Thursday, you will complain about your weight. Have any of you complained about your in-laws? Okay. Have any of you complained about your in-laws' money or weight? You know, just we'll put it all together. How many of you complained about the weather? How many of you complained when you walked in and you said, it's really, really cold in here, Kyle? Uh, How many of you complained about opportunities? You don't have opportunities. How many of you complained about your spouse? Or maybe some of you complained about a lack of a spouse. How many of you complained about your children or a lack of children? Uh, How many of you complained about your work or about your boss? How many of you complained about your house or your car? Whatever it is, we complain a lot. And complaining is always a sign that it's the God of mammon that we're serving because we look at what we don't have. But this is such a great statement that's made here in Exodus because because it says that when the food was distributed and when people picked it up, some people picked up a lot, some people picked up a little, but what is the summary statement? They all had what? The right amount. Some had a lot, some had a little, but it was customized for them. God, in his wisdom, customized exactly the amount that they needed to have and gave them that amount, which is such an amazing thing because when we serve the God of the Bible, when we serve the true God, we can trust that it'll give us exactly the right amount. And if, are you sitting there saying, you know what, God's given me exactly the right amount. That's a sign that you serve God. But, of course, that wasn't the attitude that everybody had that was in the desert. And it says, now sort of going on track two of it's not enough, then Moses said to them, no one is to keep uh, anything until the morning. In other words, you're only to collect as much as you needed for that day. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell, so Moses was angry with them, and I can see why he was. And here's the deal, is because when they looked at it, they said, God, we don't trust you that you'll provide. You aren't going to do what's best for me. I really don't think that you are, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to take more than I need because I don't think you're going to come through. And that's really what we do. When we serve the God of mammon, we're basically saying to God, you're not a good provider. I don't think that you're sufficient. I don't think that you're going to give me truly what I need. And that sounds kind of stark and harsh, but whenever you overreach, whenever you say, I don't have enough, whenever you say, I need to get this, I need to compromise here to get this, I need to compare myself with someone else, God is going to say, well, what you're saying is I don't provide, right? That's, let's just call it for what it is. You don't think I can provide. You don't think that I will give you truly what you need. And that's a sign of serving the God of mammon. All right, let's look at one more example, and this to me is sort of the epitome of it because this was during Israel's golden age. This is the best it ever was in Israel ever, in their whole history even down through today. This was called the golden age. And the king was David's son, And who knows David's son's name was? Solomon. Solomon 
uh, during his kingdom was considered the greatest time that Israel ever had. One of the most powerful nations on earth. And Solomon was one of the most powerful, maybe the most powerful person in the whole world. And it starts off this way. Uh, Solomon, when he's young, he asks God for wisdom, and God is so pleased with that request, instead of getting wealth or a long life or freedom from his enemies, uh, this is what God says in 1 Kings 3, 12 through 13. He says, I will give you a wise and discerning heart, exactly what you asked, so that, uh, so that there will never have been anyone like you uh, or will ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. It's an amazing thing. God says, you know what? You asked for this. I'm not going to just give you this. I'm going to give you all of this. It's almost a case study. What happens when God gives somebody more than they can even imagine? How does that work out? What happens to somebody that is so generously given to? There was no one that got more than Solomon. And you would think that Solomon would say, I am content. But we read in a book called Ecclesiastes that he wrote at the end of his life how this thing worked out for him. It says in Ecclesiastes 2, 10 through 11, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon had the Hawaiian punch syndrome. Let me just ask you this question because you're saying, what are you talking about? Have you ever, on a really hot day, drank a huge glass of Hawaiian punch to satisfy your thirst? Any of you ever done that, Hawaiian punch? Okay, well, there's a good reason you don't do it, I guess. I do. You know what Hawaiian punch does not do? It does not quench your thirst. In fact, that sugar in it, you, five minutes after you drink it, you are more thirsty than you were before. So you drink more Hawaiian punch. And then you're like about to die because it just sucks all the liquids out of you. And that sugar just makes you so much more thirsty. And that's basically what happens to Solomon. He's, he's not satisfied with what God's given him. He says, I need more. I need more. I need more. And he basically has the resources to get everything that he wants. And finally, he looks at his life. And instead of being filled, which is when we serve God, that's how we feel. We feel like God has filled our life. He feels empty. There's nothing. There's not enough. I can't get enough of it. The more I strive, the more I want, the less I feel like I have. Mammon will promise you more and more and deliver less and less until finally it promises you everything and delivers nothing. And that's what Solomon learns here. The God of mammon does not deliver. He leaves you more empty than you ever were. And the question is, you know, when is enough enough? And when you chase the God of mammon, the question is, when I get a little bit more. It's always the question. It's when I get a little bit more. I don't have enough yet. But if I can just get a little bit more, if I'm here right now, but if I can just get over here, 
If I can just get to this place, I'll be satisfied. And then you get to this place and you say, oh, I was wrong. It isn't this place. It's if I can just get over here, this will be enough. And then you get over there and it's like, no, 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 this isn't it. But I know that if I just get over here, it will be enough. It's like drinking Hawaiian punch. It never satisfies. That's one of the things. It doesn't leave you full. Serving the God of mammon leaves you empty. And so as we trace through the Old Testament, we see that you have this decision to make. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the God of mammon? The God of mammon is going to make you say, uh, what God's given me is not enough. God will not provide for me. And eventually, though I try to fill myself over and over and over again, I'm going to be left empty. And conversely, when God does it, you say, God is generous. And God provides perfectly for my needs. I don't get what other people get, but he's customized something for me. And then finally, and I go away full. I'm actually filled up. God fills me up with what I need. And it's our decision on how we do it. And basically, James paints in the New Testament, he very starkly paints what the more is better, more is possible, I deserve more philosophy, eventually lands you in. And this is, this is sort of harsh statement, but James 4 says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire, desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And James, who was pretty straightforward about things, just calls it the way it is. He said, if you're going to serve the God of mammon, you just need to know that that ultimately is where it lands you. It lands you in a place where there's friction between you and other people, and there's friction between you and God. And eventually you land in a place where you say, I hate who I'm becoming. I hate who this is making me to be. So what's the fix? What do we learn in the New Testament about the fix? And you will be surprised. It is simple. Not necessarily easy, but it's simple. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And let's read this together. We'll bring it up on the screen so we can do it. And let's read it with a little gusto because this is the fix. And we need this more at this time of the year than we've ever needed it before, right? Okay, so let's read it. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is such a simple statement. And it seems like it's so like, yeah, that makes sense. So it just says, hey, have joy in what God's already given you. Talk to him all the time. Be thankful, even when the circumstances don't really seem like they are great times to be thankful, still be thankful, and then you can know you're in God's will. That's what this is saying. You'll be doing exactly what God wants you to do. You know, this thankful heart intuitively, we as parents, those of you that have raised children, you know how much you want your children to be thankful, right? So, you know, this Christmas, I guarantee it, somebody's going to give one of your children something they don't like, okay? These really spazzy-looking pajamas or something. And the kid's going to open up the thing, and you're going to see it on your child's face. Oh, my gosh, those are a disaster. And your child's just going to go, 
They're not like expecting me to wear these things, are you? And you're going to see it. But you know what you're going to do? You're going to grab your, your son or your daughter. You're going to stand them up. You're going to walk them in front of the person. And you're going to say, what do you say to Aunt Janine? Thank you. You know, thank you for these spazzy pajamas. Whatever it is, you're going to say, say thank you. Because you want your child to have a heart of gratitude, right? And it really doesn't matter what we get. We want to have a heart of gratitude. We want that to spill out of who we are. The Old Testament had a very interesting practice because the religious leaders knew how quickly we would turn from, uh, turn from being grateful. And so they had this, uh, this custom called barakut. And in barakut, barakut was basically to thank God for things during the day. Just the most menial things, the smallest things. Barakut meant you're to thank God. And the rule was a hundred times a day, a hundred times a day, thank God for something. Whatever it is, the smallest of things, you can thank him. And so, for instance, they would say things like, bless you, God, for the bread that I'm eating today. And when it says, bless you, God, it's really thank you, God. Bless you, God, for the bread I'm eating. Bless you, God, for the wine I'm drinking. In fact, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, it's very likely that those were the exact prayers that he gave as he did the wine and the bread. Because it says he gave thanks, and that's how it would work. Thank you, God, for my bread. You didn't have to give it to me, and you did. Thank you, God, for this wine. You didn't have to give it, but you did. It's so interesting on how gratitude impacts us. Actually, in uh, UC Davis, uh, you know, the, the school up in Northern California, did a study on gratitude. And listen to some of the things that happens in a heart full of gratitude, how it actually changes who you are as a person. It says, people that are grateful exercise more regularly, have fewer physical symptoms, uh, feel better about their life as a whole. They're more optimistic, generally speaking. Uh, They are more likely to make progress toward important personal goals. They said with young adults, they have higher levels of alertness, enthusiasm, determination, attentiveness, and energy. Uh, You are more likely to help people who are in trouble. You're more likely to have high levels of positive emotions, life satisfaction, vitality, optimism, lower levels of depression and stress. Uh, Grateful people, though, it says, do not deny or ignore negative aspects of their life. They just handle them better. Spirituality, and this is so interesting. UC Davis is not a spiritual institution in any way, but it says people who attend religious services and engage in religious activities, such as prayer, reading, Uh, uh, Bible study, those sorts of things, tend to be more grateful. Uh, It says gratitude does not require that you have a faith, but if you have faith, it helps your gratitude. And then finally, on material possessions, on the God of mammon, listen to how this impacts that. Grateful individuals place less importance on material goods. They are less likely to judge their own and other success in terms of possessions accumulated They are less envious of others and are more likely to share their possession with others who are in need. That's just from being grateful. And you know how they did it? They asked the people in the study, just get a little journal and every day write down for 15 minutes things you're grateful for. Just That's the whole thing. Just 15 minutes a day, just write down things you're grateful for. That's all you have to do. And they observed all of these changes in the person's heart because we're built to be grateful. Thankfulness is wanting what I have. That's what it means to be thankful. It's just simply saying, thank you. I want, God, what you've given to me. 
I thank you for what you've given to me. So let's just practice this together, okay? Are you guys up for a little exercise here? I'm practicing gratitude, all right? I'm going to give you something, and you're going to say, thank you, God. Okay, let's practice that. One, two, three. Thank you, God. Let's practice it again. One, two, three. Thank you, God. Okay, so when you get out of bed in the morning and you can actually stand up, you're going to say, thank you, God. When you go in and you're waking up your children and they're still in bed, you're going to say for your children, thank you, God. Okay? When you look in the mirror in the morning and your eyes can see your reflection, you're going to say, thank you, God. All right, some of you said, oh, God. No, not oh, God, but thank you, God. Okay. When you accomplish something during the day, you will say, thank you, God. Uh, now, this one's going to sound a little blunt, but this was actually one of the ones that they, they uh, wanted the Jewish people in the Old Testament to say. When you can empty your bladder and feel that relief, you will say, thank you, God. And, you know, I would think that that's a joke, but a few years ago, I was with my grandfather. He was picking me up from the airport. He was an old guy, and he, he didn't have much longer to live. And we went into the men's bathroom, and we were standing side by side doing our business. And he said, you know, Kevin, when you get to be my age, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> I was like, okay. I'm glad I'm not quite there yet. All right. When you read a book and your mind understands what you're reading, you're going to say, thank you, God. Uh, when there's rain on the roof and you realize it's your spouse's turn to walk the dog, you're going to say, Thank you, God. Right. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Gratitude pouring out of our heart because being thankful means wanting what I have, wanting what I have. And it is God's solution for the God of mammon, for serving the God of mammon is to be thankful. And finally, one last thing is it leads to contentment, which is the most amazing quality to have in a world where there's so much where we'll feel like we don't have, is to be content even now. Uh, Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Let's read this one too, because this is kind of an amazing statement. You know where Paul was when he wrote this letter? He was in jail. He was in prison. Prison back in that day was even worse than prison in this day. And listen to what he writes. Uh, let's read this together. It says... For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Is that it? No. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You see, this idea of being content is finally saying, I don't need more. God is good. I like what I have. I don't need more. You know, which man is more content? This is a Kenton joke, okay? So if you're around Kenton, you've heard this a million times. You can say it with me. Which man is more content? The one with five children or the one with five million dollars? <laughs> because... He doesn't want any more. That's right. It's the man with five kids because he doesn't want any more. Contentment means being satisfied with what God has given me. And here's the truth. We worship and serve a God of the universe who is generous, who customizes exactly what you need. No accidents. And who makes your life full. 
And you can either choose to accept that and believe it, or you can say, no, it's not enough. And you'll serve the God of mammon, and you will get discontent, and you'll have anxiety, and you'll stress out about the things that you don't have, that you wish you could have, the worries that actually never come your way. And it's up to you. And it's a decision that you have to make this season as we enter into an incredible time of consumption, but also an incredible time of remembering exactly what God has given us. Years and years ago, when Julie and I were here at Mariner's Church, there was one couple in our church, and we looked at them and we said, this is a couple that has everything. They were gorgeous, a gorgeous couple. You know, even... You know, guys can't say that about other guys, so I never said that. But Julie said they are a gorgeous couple, and uh, they were both very successful, and they had lots of friends, and they just they were smart and witty and intelligent and very compelling as a couple. But you know, the greatest quality about them is they never served the God of Mammon; they served God. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariners Church in Huntington Beach. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.